Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this episode with Dr. Ariel Schwartz on does stored trauma in the body cause self-sabotage? Hmm. This episode is broken into three sections. The first answering the question, why would someone not be achieving their goals in life? Then section two, looking at different parts of us and the cost of not understanding them and pushing them down. And then finally, how somatic work, the polyvagal theory and parts work come together to cause self-sabotage and also yet is our way out of self-sabotage. Susan, a current mentor of the 21 Day Journey, sat down to share her story, which is woven throughout this episode. Just in her story, we will find our answer to, does stored trauma in the body cause self-sabotage? And what was her way out? Hello, my name is Susan Lynn, and I am uh, privileged to be here. I'm one of Dr. Amy's mentors, which I absolutely love. I've been working with her for almost two years now. My trauma goes back to my in utero life. My father used to abuse my mother physically and emotionally, and the womb was a very stressful place for me. I was born with bad tonsils. Go figure. I never heard of that before. I've been a nurse for over 30 years and never saw it, but I was. And my abuse continued, and the neglect from the crib on includes. Um, sexual abuse by family members, neglect by both of my parents, physical abuse, broken ribs before I could walk by my father. And they separated when I was 10 months old and divorced when I was a year and a half. My mother moved back home with her parents and that's where my crib was. So even then my mother rejected my presence and her care of me. And my grandmother was the one who did that. About the same time, my father had me for a visitation with one of my uncles and decided to turn that into a kidnapping. They crossed state lines with me and we're going to just flee. And I cried and they decided to bring me back. That's part of the trauma. At two, I was hospitalized with a fever of unknown origin. At three, I had two near drownings. <laughs> and so this life is used to trauma from the get-go. It's just hardwired into my nervous system. So of course, as a result, a part of me has been wounded to the core, to my very being, and left with a lot of false beliefs. Well, you really said the key words in there, which is that when we're self-sabotaging, it's usually a sign that we have some form of conflict between different experiences, different sets of needs within ourselves. And that we might have a need for wellness or for physical fitness. We might have a need to uh, be productive at work, but there might be other less on the forefront, less conscious parts of ourselves, less conscious needs that are sabotaging those efforts, right? So we might have that part of ourselves that wants to set goals around running, right? I'll just use that as an example. And then 
And when the morning comes and it's time for you to do your run, this other voice comes in. Oh, I don't want to. I don't know if I can. That feels too long today. Boy, those cookies look really good instead. Like whatever it is, right? Or I want to run, but I ate too much yesterday and I'm not going to feel good. So all of these different complex inner dynamics start to show up right as we face our goals. Now, I don't think any of that is that new information, but what we want to look at is where did those complex inner dynamics come from? Because I think that we can take them at face value and we can get stuck within this polarity or within this fighting against ourselves. And we make the part of ourselves that doesn't want to be productive or go for the run or whatever it is wrong. And what we want to do instead is use what I think is a a very important word in this whole process, which is the word curiosity. That when we are struggling with some kind of conflict that's, that's interfering with us meeting our goals, health goals, work goals, that we want to bring curiosity to what's really going on there. And what is the voice of the part that is not wanting to do this? And when we start to listen, what happens, and, we, and as we understand, we're, we're speaking here about parts work, that we all have parts within us. We all do every single one of us. And that what we start to hear is that those parts are reflective of our early life experiences. There's a body of work out there called Internal Family Systems, which I know you're familiar with, uh, and developed by Richard Schwartz, who's not related to me. And <laughs> but what he looked at is that when individuals uh, were suffering, for example, with eating disorders, that, that there would be these cycles, especially with a binge eating disorder or bulimia, that someone might have this weight loss goal, but then they binge, then they feel bad about themselves and they have this very critical voice comes in. And so then they purge and then they feel bad about themselves that way. And the critical voice comes in and it becomes this cycle. Now that cycle is very extreme in something like bulimia, but we all have versions of those cycles within us. What he also discovered is that having worked with families, that the voices that individuals have within ourselves mimic what we learned externally. So suddenly we might hear ourselves speaking in this very self-critical voice and come to realize that that self-critical voice is mimicking what we learned from perhaps a critical parent or a parent who was well-meaning but really urged us to be performance-based, right? And so then when we're performance-based and we're compliant and we're a good kid and we work really hard and we get good grades and we get good feedback for doing so well in school and being that good kid at home, sometimes what can happen is that the inner rebel or the part of self that feels like, well, how come I'm not just love for who I am? How come I can't just be fully accepted for the person that I am in the world that doesn't depend upon being a good athlete, being a good, you know, getting good grades in school, you know, doing all my chores, right? Like, so we have those other parts of us, but because we've been trained not to act out or not to, to let that lazy part show up, when it does show up at some point in our adulthood, we hear those same critical voices. A part of me has been wounded to the core, to my very being, and left with a lot of false beliefs left to believe I'm unlovable, I'm not worth the time of day, I'm an inconvenience. And I learned from those early crib days 
that I just better be quiet and not cry in an attempt to get my basic needs met or the terrifying, cursing, yelling monster would storm in and silence me. So I lived most of my life in the freeze. My nervous system is wired up with all that comes along with being in a dangerous, terrifying environment from pre-birth on for years. So we have different parts of us. That's why I named my course, All Parts of Me. Have you been able to get curious about the different parts of you? Or perhaps are you still in a place of not liking them and the trouble that they can cause in your life? Well, that's exactly where I was at one time. In fact, Let's go there because my guess is that you are going to hear yourself in Susan's description of what self-sabotage looked like for her, and then my and Ariel's discussion on parts that we have labeled as bad and haven't always liked. Self-sabotaging for me in my life looked like I was just driving myself into the ground too hard, too far, too much for too long. Sometimes I didn't even care about my health. I just, um, even sometimes I think a part of me intentionally uh, put it at risk, staying up too late, ruminating on thoughts that were toxic, poor dietary choices, out goes the balanced meals and in comes the junk food. And for me, that's salty and crunchy, but that would be my meal pushing myself beyond what I would even ever expect of anyone else. I treated myself like my worst enemy. I mean, I wouldn't even treat my worst enemy like I treated myself. And uh, another way is just isolating, cutting myself off from everybody else, all of my support, not showing people who I am, not letting them in, but just keeping them at a distance and um, pushing them away, not um, allowing myself the blessing of having someone enter into my world and really know me, and also uh, just escaping by watching TV. I'm watching TV too late, and maybe watching stuff that was not good for me either, that made me feel afraid and stuff. But there are many ways that I found myself indulging in self-sabotaging behaviors. So much from our experiences tells us which parts of us are bad and which parts of us are good. And I remember this so much in my life. And now that I work with other clients, this continually comes up where it's like, well, that's the bad part of me. That's the the part of me that, that I don't want there. I don't want that to be a part of me. There's many times where I actually hate that part of me and I don't want to get to know that part of me. I don't want to (laughs) have anything to do with that part of me. This is who I want to be. I want to always be the productive. I always want to be the one who gets up early in the morning and goes for the run. I don't want these other parts that I hear their voices. And this is so emotionally draining. It's the energy drain to constantly have these parts of us that show up, whether in our body as different sensations or as actual voices in our head that we may recognize, and to not want them there, to actually be trying to override them, numb them, 
avoid them, whatever it is, but not take their input into consideration at all. It's such an energy drain. Yes. And I think the other ways that these can show up is in our emotions and in the early messages that we got about emotions, that if we were crying, maybe that meant that we were a crybaby, right? Or if we were angry, then, you know, we were being selfish or we were taking up too much energy in the household. And so then we quarantine off these parts of ourselves and we exile them to borrow from Richard's language, right? We think they aren't welcome in our awareness. And the consequence of that is that we start to feel like we're just going through the motions in our lives. We start to feel robotic or cut off or not authentic. And that I think it speaks to that drain that you just, that you just named. That. And then the other thing that happens is those parts that are exiled eventually just rebel as you use that word and act out and it's in a way that we can no longer manage and control them and continue to try to stuff them and so that's where they can get really messy (laughs) they can they can make big messes in our lives and we we regret it we hate them even more afterwards and so it's this constant battle and and tension inner tension and trying to keep them quiet keep them exiled And then when they do show up, we we hate them even more because we don't understand them. We don't understand why they would do that and don't know what to do about it. Right. I think a good example of that is, you know, that we bound everything in and then all of a sudden we have a fight with a spouse or we have, you know, we don't feel like we did a good job with a project at work or, uh, you know, a kid triggers something. There are all these triggers that can happen. And then all of a sudden, it's like everything comes out of the container and we, and it's a big mess, like you said. And then it's like really quickly, we want to put it all back down and, oh, I'm fine and I've got this. But ultimately, you know, if we think about all of those emotions held in a beach ball that's kind of being pushed down under the water, that beach ball wants to come to the surface. And all that's in it, all of our own vulnerability of sadness and fear and and shame and anger, right? It needs to come to the surface. Brene Brown speaks so much about how when we can turn towards vulnerability and shame, it enhances our creativity and enhances our interpersonal relationships and our productivity. But the energy that it takes to push those authentic parts of ourselves down is a cost to all of those other arenas of our lives. So as a result, I have this young and insecure part, very, very, very young and insecure part. And I'm so grateful to Dr. Amy for her courses and her teaching. And that's where I met these beautiful little parts of me. These beautiful little parts of me that can be very easily triggered and become reactive without thinking. I can be reckless with my health and neglect my self-care, stay up too late, make poor dietary choices and just say, hey, I'm going to have this box of crackers instead of a balanced meal today. (laughs) And then detrimental too is pushing myself, pushing myself and not giving myself the rest that it needs. So this young and insecure part of me is used to living in the freeze and retreats there reflexively. She wants to be the boss. She pushes people away. And that's not the good push away exercise that we learned in the 21 day journey. She likes to isolate. She likes to cope by watching television, movies, 
as a route of escape. I also have a lamenter part who is the, oh, why me? Woe is me. Why did this happen to me? And then the gloom and doom part. Hey, you know, you got a high ACES score. So face it, you may as well just give up. Your life is going to be shortened by maybe two decades. So just give it up. And so there is a battle inside of me between the young me and the current me. And the current me could say, hey, stop this. I hate when you hold me back. I don't want to be doing this. I don't like when you act like that. You're going to change no matter what. This can't continue. I love how Susan describes these beautiful parts of me and the battle inside of her between the young her and the current her. Boy, can I relate. Susan talked about a very, very young part that goes into the freeze response. Let's talk more about that because there are these parts of us that go into the freeze response to become essential to work with and is actually part of the protocols of the biology of trauma model. Of course, the freeze response refers to the polyvagal theory, which explains why it can be so hard for us to make change in our life in these self-sabotage patterns when we are trying to use logic and willpower. I think a part of me knew that what I was doing was wrong, but I just couldn't break out of this cycle that I would constantly revert back to. It was just a habit and a not a good habit. And so um, the awareness came when one day, and I can't remember exactly where, Dr. Amy popped up on my computer. <laughs> and I was listening to her and listened to it over and over again. I'm like, this woman, she knows me. She's speaking my language. I could be real with her. She knows where I come from. I can't, I wouldn't scare her. She understands. She understands. She would know how to help me. And so then I pursued um, learning from Dr. Amy. And the first course I took was the seven day shift to calm aliveness, which was almost two years ago. This fall will be two years ago. And I learned so much in there. I'm just thinking back onto those days. It was quite shocking for me, the things that I learned, quite eye-opening. But also, you know, after that initial whoa wore off, there was hope that was filling that space now. You know, I could do this. I could do these. I could help myself now. And then the 21-day journey, which I did, and now I've been mentoring in I think I'm on my sixth time through it. And the very first day is tracking an awareness. And it's like learning, whoa, what's going on in me? I feel something changing in my body, something shifting. Let me take care of that. And all the skills that followed throughout the 21-day journey have become a way of life. So I'm sitting here with my feet grounded, my hips. I got my back support on. I have a weighted blanket on my lap. Um, this is a new way of life. Well, it's not a new way. It's been going on for a while now with Dr. Amy, but it's a way of life. And so that way I am more balanced. I'm steady. I can take things that are coming. I have capacity that's increasing in my life. Um, greater tolerance of things as they hit. And so um, 
I am so grateful for that. This is like that interface then between the vagus nerve and what's happening there with the survival system and the freeze response when a person goes into a place of shame. And so we have these parts of us that feel sensitive, that feel young, that can go to a very hurt and dark place when triggered. And then that's when we can also look at it from the angle of what's happening in our vagus nerve and in the different survival states of our nervous system. So how do, how do you integrate that into this bigger picture? What a fantastic question. So my, I have a, a nerdy love affair with the vagus nerve. I've been studying it for about 12 years and I uh, have worked with Dr. Stephen Porges to really understand is polyvagal theory. And, and just in short, for those of you that are listening and the vagus nerve is, is why are we talking about Las Vegas? No, the, the vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve that is a major mind-body connector. And that 80% of the communications from the vagus nerve are from the body back up to the brain. And what that means is that we are constantly getting information from our sensory experience and that information is often coming up to the brain below conscious awareness. So Stephen Porges has a word called neuroception. And neuroception is basically the ways in which our nervous system is constantly tuning into our environment and our inner experience in the body for signals of threat or danger. And that also can actually tune into signals of safety and connection. But if there is a perception that maybe we see the look on someone's face and we think they're critical of us, or maybe we see, you know, the body language of another person and we think they must be angry, even if we're not consciously registering it, our nervous system is still perceiving and taking in this information. And so what can start to happen is that we might be responding to cues of threat, but not know why, or responding to little feelings of rejection and abandonment that are touching off a feeling of shame, perhaps, or sadness, or loneliness, rejection, and that those feelings kind of build up, they stack. And if we're not paying attention to the body, then we're not understanding all of that subtle buildup. And then all of a sudden, it's like that beach ball has popped through the water and we don't know how we got there. How all of a sudden are we sitting there in the bathroom floor crying, right? <laughs> like what happened? But what the goal of somatic psychology is, is to increase awareness of the body so that we can track and use conscious neuroception or the perception of our nervous system experience. And then we can actually discern what's happening. Oh, I feel a little grip in my belly or a tightness in my chest or a catch in my throat, right? And that all of these somatic signals are information about how I'm processing the world from a sensory and emotional-based experience. And then when we pay attention to that, we have greater choice about how to respond. To deal with the self-sabotage, as I mentioned, the first step for me is becoming aware that it's going on. Because as I uh, mentioned earlier, this has been a way of life for me. I'm 61 years old. And so these things are hardwired. You know, these skills of just survival that I have 
in my nervous system. And so being aware of what's going on now, knowing my, my nervous system and my body sensations, what it feels like when they occur, the tightness in my chest, the inability to swallow. It feels like there's a hand gripping my throat. Maybe my shoulders and my neck feel like someone is clenching at it. There might be tension in my stomach and inability just to think and make decisions. It, it shows up in so many ways. And so when this happens and I notice it, then I could just take care of myself in the moment, drop out of my head because chances are that's where I've been and into my body then and say, okay, I feel that um, tightness here in my chest. I'm going to support it. I'm going to hold my heart. If that's where it is, if it's my abdomen, I'm going to support my stomach. I'm going to do a push away and a boo. Titration comes in handy. Oh, this part of me is tight and tense. Okay, let me focus on that for 15 seconds. But wait, my little toe feels great. So let me look at that now for a while. <laughs> Going back and forth until things kind of simmer down. There's so many amazing tools that I am so grateful for. What a powerful episode this was. There will be a part two to this episode because this was not the end of the conversation with Dr. Ariel and myself. You know, we only have one system, which of course I'm referring to our nervous system. In the biology of trauma model, there are three pieces that feed into a cycle of trauma or a cycle of wellness, whichever you are creating for yourself. In this episode, we talked about two of those pieces, somatic work and parts work. The third piece, of course, is the biology and they all directly influence the nervous system and whether it is in a trauma place or a healing place. For me, Susan's story was so powerful and I could not leave out this next part where Susan shares what happened the other night when she could not sleep. After listening to her full story, pieces of it I did not actually know yet. And this next section gave me goosebumps because if she can go from a place of carrying so much trauma and that affecting her health, her relationships, how she saw herself, how she talked with herself, her self-sabotage, and go to this place that she describes in the next section of no apologies, a place of power, but also a place of peace. My goodness, then you can too. And you can help your clients and your patients get to that place too. So thank you for joining me for this episode, part one of the conversation on does stored trauma in the body cause self-sabotage. And here's the rest of Susan's story. But now through all that I've learned, I now can love and embrace this part of me because of the gift of awareness and tracking my nervous system. It's like a fire alarm. It's alerting me to the need to take action, to take care of myself. Hey, you got, I've got this gripping pain in my neck like someone is grabbing me, that's when I know, okay, that's enough. Let's do some somatic work and kind of just get away from whatever I'm doing for the moment and take care of myself. And it's all gone. And this is amazing because life was not like this for me before. Now I know through parts work that this is just a part of me. 
It's not all of me. So it's not overwhelming. And there's hope there because I do also have other parts that I can work with. I have a part of me that can bring in the love and the comfort and the nurturing and provide my body and my nervous system with that felt sense of safety when it's activated. And I just want to say I'm so blessed with all of these tools that Dr. Amy has given me through her courses, which has changed. And I want to say even spared my life. And it's now manageable and livable. And I can now accept who I am. So the other night in the middle of the night, I found myself awake and unable to fall back asleep. So I got up and I got out my journal and started writing down my thoughts. And this is what came. I need to. I must. I am able now. I have the awareness and the capacity to accept who I am. I no longer have to be constantly frustrated and disappointed. I no longer have to try to change me. I now instead choose to accept who I am. Who I am is good enough. Who I am is a woman who is fearfully and wonderfully made. And I do not need to apologize for who I am. I do not need to hide who I am. Who I am is good enough. I have been created by the Lord and made in his very image. And who I am is who I am meant to be. It's the culmination of all that I have survived. I am brave. I am strong. I'm a survivor because that is who he made me to be. I do not owe explanations. I do not need to apologize. I simply accept who I am. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.